This morning I'll be offering you some further reflections on the unfolding of a retreat. And really it's it's simply going to be a review of some of the things that I shared with you last night, adding these other two ways of seeing, seeing uh, dukkha, uh, the nature of, of this aspect of our experience. And then also seeing uh, anatta, this, this aspect of not-self. And what I want to emphasize about it is uh, just an encouragement to keep it simple. And in some ways, you don't have to, quote-unquote, do anything different than what you're already doing in terms of how we've framed th- this retreat. That means to continue with what Donald had shared with us, is to continue at times cultivating this quality of samadhi going back to keeping it very, very simple. If the if your anchor is the breath, just taking some time with the breath, being with the breath, just coming back to the breath. And then at times, uh, really taking some time to move into your what you'd call your typical mindfulness practice. And continuing to have the sensitivity that Donald shared with us, this sensitivity to impermanence that... Just this basic experience that that experience changes. How the breath changes, how a sound comes and goes, how the the tone or the pitch or the volume changes. How a sensation changes. How a thought arises and passes away. That sense, that sense of, of change in that way. And then it's, uh, I think the word that I like to use around these you know, adding these two ways of, of seeing is it's just a sensitivity to these other qualities, you could say, popping through. So around the dukkha aspect, when there's some dis-ease or discontent with experience, to notice that, it's that, that phrase that I shared with you yesterday, last night, this too, oh, this too is my practice. Can I... In, in some ways, uh, bring my attention to this, become really curious about the fabric of this discontent, the fabric of the dissatisfaction or the frustration or the difficulty. To feel into it, to notice. To notice the difference between the pain aspect or the unpleasant aspect and the reactivity or the pleasant aspect and the reactivity in terms of the grasping. And just a reminder, it's not like you have to go looking for it. (laughs) It will come. One thing that I I forgot to mention last night, though, that I think is equally important, if not more important, is to notice the times when there's no reactivity in the mind. There's going to be times where, where the mind is simply being with the breath, where there's no reactivity. That's very, very important to notice. Oh, the mind isn't grasping right now. It's not, there's no aversion, there's no delusion, there's just this quality of presence and to savor that. The Buddha was very clear how important it is to notice both the presence of this reactivity but also the absence of it. And it, I find it's harder to see the absence of it but is uh, so important for the unfolding of this, this path. And then around anatta, the same practice. It's not like you have to do something different. You have the sensitivity to impermanence, how things change. There's this sensitivity if there's some discontent arises, noticing when, when there's an okayness in the mind. And then also around these, this, this last way of seeing, noticing when there's a quote-unquote thick sense of self. When you're lost in that dialogue where you're telling this person or that person, you know, this or that, or you're, or you're spending so much time, quote-unquote, figuring out, and you're the one who figures out, oh, there it is, wanting to be somebody. There I am. <laughs> Simply noticing that. And you might notice it also around judging others, not only judging ourselves. Judging ourselves can be, it can be there because we want to be some kind of person. Often when I want some person to be another person than they are. (laughs) It's because I want my world to look a certain way. Oh, interesting. Just that 
thick sense of self and this quality of curiosity, just noticing that it's just an arising in experience. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece, this, the, the thickening of the self and noticing it, because in the noticing is when we uh, start to become free of this dynamic. And then noticing the times uh, when there's a thinning of the self, when it's just the breath, the body's being breathed. There's not that thick sense of self there. No, just walking is happening. A lot of times the, the sense I get around this is that when experience is just simpler. And really savoring that, noticing that, when there's not as much of a sense of self. And then uh, lastly, what can allow for this to continue to ripen this path is this really important quality of curiosity. Just can you become curious about all these different things? The interest in the simplicity of how things are changing, the interest in challenge or difficulty, ah, this too, and the interest in either the thickening or the thinning of the self. I invite you to, in in some ways, keep this in the back of your mind, not in the front of your mind, in the back. (laughs) And allow uh, just to have these sensitivities as we move forward and as we now uh, begin to come inside and begin to sit together in silence for the rest of our time together during this, this sitting meditation period.
So once again, we have uh, some time if you have any questions or comments about the practice we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So he was just describing for him a gateway into all this is seeing the self more as a verb than a noun. And then uh, it, 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 what I'm hearing is it help ties in the the sense of impermanence, seeing how these you'd say these bubbles of experience bubble up and then coalesce sometimes to make a self, but then they pass away. And getting that sense of it, it sounds like yeah, is another gateway into not self. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was really interested between the distinction, I mean, about the distinction between a wound of unsatisfactoriness and the experience of unsatisfactoriness. Is there an absolute difference? Are they on a continuum? And how do you know when you're working with a wound or when you're working simply with dukkha? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, they can. Uh, intermingle a little bit. Kind of the the wound of unreliability, what I was calling the wound of unreliability or the wound of unsatisfactoriness. Uh, And this is just one frame. One way to see it is that uh, in terms of the wounds, I think some of that fits in with the way that Donald was referring to these different kinds of ignorance. And on one, one level, there's a kind of ignorance that is very much tied with my personal history. Uh, in terms of uh, what I've been through. And there's a kind of wounding around that. And I, I need to also gain insight into that. But it has a, a different flavor to it. Like, for example, the wound of unreliability might have been wounded in a way by a caregiver or someone else in a way that I am uh, I'm not so skillful on, on doing the dance of being in relationship, of actually learning how to rely on people that are ultimately unreliable, but 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 still learning how to trust, for example, and um, it it has the different flavor of of being intertwined with yeah, kind of my psychological makeup, you could say. In terms of the insight into insatisfactoriness, or the insight into unreliability, sometimes it has a little bit different flavor. So, for example. And sometimes this becomes more poignant on uh, longer retreats where the mind is really taking in the experience of impermanence, uh, the experience of of just noticing how phenomena arise and pass away or how experience arises and passes away. And then from that, from the scene of that, so it's it's very kind of in this impersonal domain that sometimes what starts to happen are these, uh, sometimes people feel a lot of grief or disgust around these experiences, sometimes a lot of fear. But it's more on the um, the transpersonal uh, level in the sense of just seeing that quality, that, th- that flavor of experience seems to elicit those emotions, which is different than feeling the grief of the loss of someone specific. So for example, I remember um, I was on retreat in Nepal with Saida Uvivekananda, 
And the, it was just very striking. It was noticing how, it was like moment after moment seeing the disintegration of experience um, started to create a lot of fear in my system. And I remember reporting this to uh, Saito Uvukananda. Actually, it, it got almost overwhelming. And he said, uh, he kind of gave me this test of, so is, or, or, is this the fear of being afraid of Maoists? Because when I was in Nepal, the, actually, you'd hear at night sometimes the, the Maoists were setting off bombs to remind people who was really in control. <laughs> and... And it wasn't. It was. It was around the experience, and so I said that to him, and he, and he, he, because uh, I remember it was, it was close to overwhelming. And he, he, all he said was, "Oh, that's that's a good fear. That's dhamma fear. Uh, 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 just go and practice more. That's all you need to do." <laughs> and so it had a different flavor to it, in terms of that. But they can, for some individuals, sometimes they do intermingle. They can get. Uh, 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 intermingle in some kind of way. Does that give at least some kind of sense how these are a little bit different realms? Yeah, a lot of times it's it's pretty clear in the sense of like there it was very much connected with seeing experience and what would happen is I would sit down on the meditation cushion and as the samadhi was stronger and as the noticing impermanence was stronger that feeling was stronger so it was very much connected with that so it was actually pretty clear about that and then other times it's like I'm sitting and then this whole wave of you could say my psychological stuff comes up for lack of a better word that has a particular flavor to it so I think some of it is just it will clarify itself in, in some kind of manner. It, but I want to say the practice is the same for both of them. I'm, I'm just there being with and noticing, uh, noticing them really in the same way in terms of the Vipassana practice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, let me see if I can repeat your question. Did people hear the the question? The question was around um, kind of how do we engage in these ways of seeing? You know, you mentioned you know bringing up someone uh, a loss of someone or the the impermanence of this body in some kind of way. Um, so, in in terms of the way the Buddha taught, the Buddha does at least in the Pali discourses, you do find him. Uh, kind of teaching these in many different ways. And one is uh, in the way that you described, which I would actually put in the realm of reflection, where I take up a subject and there's a quality of reflecting on it, whether it is the loss of someone or the impermanence of this body. You know, um, this body of the same same nature, it's not exempt from that fate. That, you know, the same thing will happen to this body. In terms of uh, the formal Vipassana practice, at, at least the way I enter into this is it's not so much taking up a reflection. It's just keeping it super simple. I'm just noticing what's coming into the field of awareness. So, for example, I might do samadhi practice for a while. And then the way I I described samadhi practice is that I have a kind disregard for these other things that are arising. But with, with the kind of vipassana practice and moving into this ways of seeing, I have a kind regard for what's arising. So I just want to give a little bit of a, step-by-step thing of how this this is kind of a natural unfolding is I'm paying attention to the feeling of the breathing. And now I'm noticing how it's changing. Oh, rising, passing away. It might feel segmented as if it's coming and going really quickly or... Or, um, or I'm really seeing how the, the rising feels very different than the falling aspect. And that's just that basic thing is, is the gateway into the insight into impermanence. You know, a thought arises. Oh, and I notice that it's just a thought. 
oh, that's in some ways this gateway into anatta. It's not me. It's just this fluid quality, you know, as you were saying, like the, the verb aspect of this, this, this selfing. So it's not like I'm looking for it in some kind of manner. Or there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a pain in my knee and there's a little bit of a gripping or pushing away from it. Oh, there's the dukkha and I can notice the, the, the unpleasantness and then I can notice the, the reactivity around it. And one of the reasons I find it helpful just to allow the mind to take this in is because what will happen is there really is, in, in some ways, a natural unfolding to this. So at times, the impermanence will be much more poignant. And that's what the mind will be picking up as the impermanence. And then at times, the not-self quality will, will, will be in the foreground in some way. And then other times, the dukkha quality will be in the foreground. And I find it's really helpful just to trust that process. Just allow it to unfold. And these ways of seeing will actually will, will, will take on sometimes uh, significance in, in different ways. So that, that's the way kind of I was trained, and I, I find it helpful because it's, it, it's an organic way. And it really allows for this natural unfolding of insight. So we don't have to go looking for it so much. Is, is, that, is that fit, the kind of the naturalness? So it's more like this, this sensitivity that we have. And there are, are other practices, like for reflective practices, or some people like to be more structured of like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to impermanence, or oh, I'm going to pay attention to dukkha. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's another way of going about it. But yeah, so just one way. I think going along with what uh, Brian was saying, it could, it may be helpful to do that more reflective practice five minutes, ten minutes, once or twice a day. That can still be helpful, but our main emphasis is on the insight practice. Great. Thanks for naming that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want to. Okay, uh, a few more. Um, so you, you've had your hand up a few times, and then I'll get to these two quickly. Uh-huh. So I'm noticing pain and the reactivity around it. And um, so the dukkha insight is a good framework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just wondering a point where it's like, okay, this isn't a reaction to pain. This is a response. So I'm going to shift a little bit. Yeah. Or, um, or is it just, yeah. Yeah. So kind of the question is, uh, where does response come in in this kind of context? Do we just sit forever and notice, notice, notice? Um, so a few things one is is uh, there comes a time where what's most skillful is to move because in, in some ways what I'm gauging it upon is if if mindfulness is getting overwhelmed by the experience it's it's I, I start to enter into the realm of of, of, a, of it being very very counterproductive because then I'm just trying to grit, grit my teeth to the end of the sit, and I'm, there's no longer the curiosity or, or really the mindfulness. Mindfulness has been, been overwhelmed in some way. So one thing uh, just around that that I just want to name is that I think it's important to be sensitive to when we get to that place because then I have to do something different. And in those kinds of uh, 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 situations, I de- do need to respond. So sometimes the skillful thing is to move. And what I try to cultivate in those moments is can I have, have a sense of moving out of kindness or compassion or wisdom rather than aversion? And it feels different, actually, to assess the situation and seeing this is what's most skillful. This is, this is, the, this is the, the flowering of wisdom is to actually move. And how does that feel compared to when it's just out of aversion? And so I think just in our response to what's going on and how to navigate it, um, we can become curious about the kind of quality of mind that's fueling it in some kind of manner. And, and again, I'm giving a cliff note. So a lot of times, 
you know, a lot of times what I notice is it's a, a mixture, right? So, but if I get like 30% wisdom, 70% aversion, eh, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> that's just my, I, I kind of keep the bar kind of low sometimes <laughs> in terms of that, but I can have a sensitivity to that. So it's a great and it's a rich exploration of uh, when do I move and to give permission to move because then I can have more curiosity about um, uh, it rather than just trying to grit to the end of the bell. Yeah, important. So we've uh, we've come to the end of our time. There, there are two more questions. Okay, and if, if, if you need to ask your question, you can come up here maybe afterwards. And um, so we'll continue with... Uh, Today's individual interviews, the, the next two sits, there'll they'll still be a, a sit leader um, ringing the bell. And uh, may it continue. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.